American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of. American, American Timelines. Time Lines. I'm Amy. And I'm Joe. And this is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, interesting, nostalgic events from the years in the past, and we do it year by year. The only thing I disagree with you on that is interesting. None of it is interesting. It's all boring. It's all stupid, garbage. And we're idiots. And you're an idiot for listening to us. No, honey, no. we talked about this. That's right. No, you're a great person for listening. Thank you for listening. Um, and if you're listening for the first time, uh, about two years ago, I fell through a magical porter portal behind a Burger King. And a porter. Uh, and I'm in the magical land of Foon, and I'm recording this in a tavern with uh, a you're talking badger. Off, you're ripping off, that's the black, what's that called? The Black Cauldron or whatever? Hello from the Magic Hello Tavern. from the Magic Tavern. That was an homage. Okay. Well. No, I'm actually, I didn't fall through a magical tavern, but that's one of the best podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Do you know what that's from? No. The NPR Politics Podcast. I oh, like that one too. you like that one. All I, right. I, I, I snuck that in the last episode, but you didn't seem to notice. No, I don't know who that is. That's probably Domenico why. Domenico Montanaro. So, I actually met him. He's tonight, cool tonight, we are talking. Give me a fist bump. We're talking about 1960. Yeah, we're still in 1960. I apologize to our longtime fans and listeners that like us to speed up through years. We've definitely slowed down. Yeah. We've hit the brakes and we've like, let's get into everything. Because we've realized basically... Every story we talk about could be its own podcast. Yeah, that's right. So we thought, let's just slow this down. Mm-hmm. It gives us both experience. Maybe that could be our next podcast, is we go back through everything we talked about and make an episode for every event. We could. That could be our next podcast. That would be Deep Dives with Amy and Joe. By then that sounds like a porn. Deep sexual dives. We could do it while we're... No. All right. We're done with this conversation. No, I was going to say while we're sipping champagne. That's okay. what I was going to say. I don't All know right. where you were going with it. Okay. Uh, but that's what I was going to say. But this, the way we do this is, you know, we're going to slow down, hunker down, do some research, and it gives it makes us better podcasters. Right. Because we do this. Not Nobody for, cares. Not for you, the listener. Not for uh, Earwolf or whoever might be listening that wants to sponsor us. We do this for our dogs. That's right. And they're always right here. with our dogs. They're both sleeping. They're both nervous bags. dogs. And ner- this and is the only thing that we found yes, to soothe the dogs. Yeah, that's correct. So us we do making this a every, podcast every night. And putting it on iTunes and yep. asking people to rate it. It's really calming them down. Yeah. So um, we're going to start in May. Yes, we're in May. May 1st, starting with Sunday, May 1st, yes. 1960. It was a Sunday. Okay. Uh, do you know? Who, do you remember who the quarrymen were? I mentioned the quarrymen. Yes, but I can't. I can't remember what they sing off the top of my head. You can't remember any of their songs. You know, like "Let It Be" or "A Hard Day's Night." Or, oh, right, right, right. Hey Jude. 
So this is the Beatles, an early name of the Beatles. Yes. Okay. They were the Quarrymen. You had to make me feel like an asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. That you was, were such an asshole. That was a terrible dickish thing. It was totally dickish. I loved it. Yeah, I totally just basically called you My out God. and like, stuck it. We're, you, we're getting a divorce. Oh, we are? Yep. That's all it took? That that was it. Yeah, I'm that done. That was the one thing I needed to do Don't to be get ridiculed. Now I can we can finally see other people. All right. Guess what, gay dudes? It's time to ride this train. They are not lining up, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> all right. Yeah, all right. Fine, gay dudes. Get out of here then. Okay, no, okay. so what anyway, happened to me first? So the quarrymen, the... remember we had, I had talked to you earlier in the year that Johnny and the Moondogs became yep. the quarrymen. Right. And do you know why they became the quarrymen? I looked this up. I did some research. Why the Beatles why? were called the quarrymen? Why? It has something to do with the school they went to was the quarry. The quarry man. You made that sound like that was going to be a great story. No, and then I you know, didn't know. I know. I th- There's something about the school I went to. <laughs> I'll slip my mind. <laughs> I think it was the mascot. This is going to be this great, fantastic story. The, the school they went to, their mascot was the quarry. They were called the quarry men, and they went to the same school or something. You are so. <laughs> I did look All it right. up. At one point, I knew why. It had okay. something to do with their school. Now, three beers in, you're done, though. Well, this is a hop slam. That's like two beers in one. Or so, right. Anyway, but. The Quarrymen changed their name from the Quarrymen yes. to the Silver Beetles. Oh, so they were the Silver Beetles first. They were first. the Silver Beetles first, and it was actually spelled like a bug, the Beatles, B-E-E-T-L-E-S. Yeah. Okay. And then a little bit later, they changed it from the Silver Beetles to the Silver Beetles, spelled the way it is with the beat, yeah. B-E-A-T. Um, but on oh, that's why they spell it Beatles. Yeah, like a beat. Yeah. What did you think? I never knew why. But you knew it was different. Of course, but I never knew why. You knew that wasn't how you spell the Beatles. I do like know. the bug, right? Right. I did know that. I um, I just never thought into it like that. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever thought it through either. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know a Beatle is spelled B-E-E-T-L-E, but. They were just, they've just always been a thing since I was born. Yeah. So it was like another proper noun. It was like another yeah. thing. They were Those so are big. the Beatles, the band Beatles. Yeah, you never thought about them naming themselves because like they just always were. Right. I don't, I, I didn't think why the bug is named a beetle because that was there since I've been born and right. so have they. So it was right. just like, that was their name. Why question it? But it's kind of cool to think that. Yeah, it's a beat, the word because beat. Because of the beat. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if that's what they were like. The, we have the beat, but. Um, because there's all kinds of websites about all that, so I'm not going to begin to say this is what I'm right. thinking. Because some nerd somewhere will be like, actually, but anyway, they changed their name to the Silver Beetles on Sunday, May first, 1960, mm-hmm. uh, and then Friday, May sixth, 1960, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signs the Civil Rights Act of 1960. Oh, big deal! Yeah, do you want me to go through the entire Civil Rights Act and read it to you? Well. Is it's up to you. Is it 17 pages long? Uh, it's 143 pages. <laughs> no, no I don't know that. how many pages it is. No, I don't want you to read the whole thing. Okay, but anyway, Dwight Eisenhower is the president. What Can you give an overview of, because <laughs> no. I did hear that already, that Dwight Eisenhower was president. Can you give an, like a brief overview of what the Civil Rights Act entailed? The Civil Rights Act is a United States federal law that established federal inspection of local voter registration polls and introduced penalties for anyone who obstructed someone's attempt to register to vote. Okay, that was it? That's the main thing. Okay. Uh, it was designed to deal with discriminatory, discriminatory laws and practices in the, segre- in the segregated South. Mm-hmm by which blacks and Mexican Texans had been effectively disenfranchised since the late 19th and start of the 20th century. 
Yep. Because um, there was this little yeah. snippet of time yeah. right after the Civil War where b- black people felt hopeful. And and before that backlash happened, there was like this little bit of time when they were free and it was right. like... It might be good. It might be okay. And then the Jim Crow came in. And yeah, it was and they like, realized, yeah, you can't just change the laws and change people's yeah. heart who people who have filled with hate for years and thought it's just the it's the addiction to free labor i mean that is what slavery boils down to it It was was. the addiction of free labor getting something for nothing you're getting it for free yeah and you didn't feel guilty because you felt like those people aren't humans and you felt like if if slavery goes away i'm gonna have to start paying out out my butt for and why should i have to do that and i can't i can't afford it i'll lose my whole livelihood i'll lose my house so well, it's I can't like anything. It. Once you're used to something, well, yeah, it's and taking it's, it away. And that it's just like the same thing with like coal miners' jobs. It's like, yeah. well, this is what we've always done. You're taking away our whole livelihood. Yeah, but it's killing the planet. Yeah, and they don't. Nobody think. Everybody thinks short term. Right. Exactly. But I think that the crux of it is that they're humans. I mean, of course, they're human people. Nobody, right. Of course. But, no. Now, I mean. Well, I know that, but like. How like that's what we can't fathom as a as a society today. It's like how, how could people happen? not see that? Yeah. Like, how could they just how could, not? How could there be half the country that thought that was okay? Yeah. Um, and then May Saturday, May seventh, nineteen sixty. Yep. Venetian Way. Okay. Won the eighty sixth Kentucky Derby. Oh God! Yeah, the we Kentucky were, Derby. It was the only eighty sixth one. I know, but I thought we were done with the Kentucky Derby. No, the we Kentucky Derby is, anymore. The Kentucky Derby is eighty six years old in nineteen sixty. Oh my God, eighty six years old. So guess how many more years of Kentucky Derby you have? Lots, lots, and lots. Of more Kentucky Derby. All right. And then Tuesday, May tenth. Mm-hmm. Remember how I told you the Quarrymen changed their name to the Silver Beetles? Yes. On May 10th, 1960, the Silver Beatles mm-hmm. auditioned for Larry Parnes to support Bill Oh, Fier- Larry Parnes. Yeah, you know, old Larry yes, Parnes. Yes, old Larry. They, old Larry. He auditioned them to support Billy Fury on his next tour. Mm-hmm. And they said, nah, you guys aren't good enough. Oh. But they were offered the chance to go on a brief tour of Scotland as the backing group for pop singer and fellow... Liver Pudlian, mm-hmm. Johnny Gentle. Jeez, you never heard of any of those people. Johnny Gentle, baby. But Johnny my favorite Gentle. part of that whole thing is I got to say Liver Pudlian. Yeah, because is that the, correct? Yes, that a person from Liverpool is a Liver Pudlian. Why? Because a Liverpool becomes a Liver Puddle, I guess. When you're talking about a person, you guess you would say Liverpoolian. That's a Liver Pudlian. That's weird. Isn't that cool? I don't know why cool. Shout out to Liver Pudlians, y'all. Liver Pud. Liverpudlian, I like saying that. Anyway, um, and that brings us to Thursday, May 12th. Thursday, May 12th. Okay, this is my deep dive. Thursday 12th, 1960. It's time for Amen to take a deep dive, y'all. I know it's early in the episode, but, you know, we can't control the dates. So I'm going to go back. We got to go back. What? Come back to Jamaica. Jamaica? And we got to go back, back, and I'm going to start in 1904. 1904. Oh, the same day that no uh, on CBS. Um, no, CBS doesn't. CBS. No. So in 1904, Chester Burge 
was born in Macon, Georgia. In Macon, wait, Chester Burge? Mm-hmm. He, his father was a plumber who died in a car accident in 1912. Don't look it up. You're going to get... Gonna just, gonna no, I was going to look up. 1904, uh, the same year that... Henry Ford set a new automobile land speed record of 91 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. The same year that the first large-scale bodybuilding competition in America took place at Madison Square Garden. Thank God that began. The same year that the Great Baltimore Fire in Baltimore, Maryland destroyed over 1,500 buildings Whoa. in 30 hours. 1,500 buildings in 30 hours it burned. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This was 1904. They didn't have like... Well, everything was made of wood, and they used candles to light everything, right? Yeah. This is... 1904 is the same year that Cy Young of the Boston Americans throws the first perfect game in the modern era of baseball. Wow. Okay. Okay. So he, he was born... Um, Say his name again. Chester Burge. Chester Burge. And he grew up, and then he got married in 1922 when he was 18. Oh, 18 years old and getting married to a hot young thing. Laureen Dupriest oh, was her name. Oh, Laureen She Dupriest was five was years older than him. And she was the belle of the ball. Although yeah. she was five years older than him, so maybe she wasn't the belle of the ball. Or maybe not anymore. She was the ball of the bell. But the marriage was troubled from the start. Laureen found out that Chester was a petty local loan shark. Oh, uh, is that a pedophile? No. Is that a pedophile that bets on things? A petty? No. Petty. Oh, petty. P-E-D. No, petty. P-E-T-T-Y. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not, not petty. Oh, good. Finally, you have a story that doesn't involve a pedophile. uh, pedophiles. So, um, He's they, a loan shark, and she didn't they, know it? She didn't know it. All right. So they separated two months later. Two months after they got married? They got separated? Yep. She's not going to give him a chance? She's not going to nope. try to change him? She filed for divorce in 1922. Oh, in the 20s, y'all. The roaring 20s. The, but it, the trial didn't start until 23 because he was committed to the insane asylum for reasons that nobody knows about. Nobody knows? It seems like his mother committed him. She said he was a danger to himself and others. Okay. And that was the only reason he was in there, but it was her word. A danger to, to himself, himself and others. And others. Wow, well, that's pretty, and, and keep in mind, this is the 20s, so things were different then. Yeah, so um, he was released, and then the divorce trial that followed was re- got really scandalous. Okay. Because Lorene had filed for divorce on the grounds of cruelty, because she said yeah. that Chester forced himself on her four to five times a day throughout wow. their marriage. Okay, that's excessive. Right. Now, now, don't get me wrong, you can never force yourself on anybody. Right. But that's excessive forcing yourself on somebody. Well, yeah, oh, you're okay. I'm glad we're saying excessive. I'm I'm glad we're saying forcing yourself on somebody instead of raping. The R word. Oh, here we go. The well, now the, the thing is, marital not- rape wasn't legally recognized oh, back then. What you were allowed? You were yeah. allowed to rape? Oh your wife? wait, yeah, yeah, you probably were. Yeah, and so that's terrible. Um, so the jury, but the jury still acknowledged the the cruelty. Oh, they did good. Yes, well, that was progressive. They I guess. granted the divorce. Oh, good. So, because yeah, you don't hear about divorce much happening in the twenties, right? It's not like a thing. In 1924, then he married Mary Kennington. Oh, he's got a new bride who was the daughter of a farmer who lived in Macon. Farmer's daughter, y'all. Turn it, I got water on. You this. know, mostly most farmers, you know, are like, "Don't touch my daughter. You can stay here for the night, but don't touch my super hot daughter." Yeah. So it's unclear whether she knew about his history with the insane asylum and all that. I would say when they met, he probably didn't say, Didn't mention Hi, it. you're very attractive. I was in an insane asylum, and I forced myself and my wife four to five times. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably, probably a good bet. didn't tell her. Um, 
So they opened a poultry farm on some of her family's land, as poultry well as farm. a service station, which is like a gas station, is what they used to call them. Yeah, they used to call them filling stations. Filling stations and service stations. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a fan of poultry. Are you? Put enough hot sauce on some poultry. It tastes good, man. So then they had a son in 1926 who was Chester Jr. Chester Jr., y'all. And then they had another in 1927 who they named John. John. That's a kind of a boring-ass yep. name. So, But then Chester Jr. died in 1928 at the age of two. Oh, what happened to him? I don't know. Kids died all the time back then in the 20s. That's, like you, That's why people had so many kids, because you were probably going to lose a couple of them. Yeah, and you need somebody to take care of you when Certain, you're older. Some disease. Oh, yeah. Something. Don't tell me about Franklin Pierce, man. Running out in front of cars and Wait, stuff. Wait, I tell you about Franklin Pierce's so, kids when we get to the president's podcast. Then Chester Sr., the dad, Yeah. he st- got into legal trouble because he was selling bootleg whiskey out of the back of the service station. Now, that, now you know what? That's where I put my foot down. That should not be illegal. I know. So he served a year in prison for that too oh that's oh he gets a year in prison for that right but, but the uh, other nothing for forcing himself on his wife right he, so then he, after he gets out of prison he goes into real estate but because he wasn't legally right. allowed to own real estate because he had never been found competent right. after his release from the asylum okay so he put all the property in his wife mary's name okay so they let him out but, but they the, didn't give him a certificate no. of competence right which is probably a thing right so okay. so, so everything, he had put everything, everything in, her name. in her name. So then, um, and he was also, as after he started going into real estate, he became this really bad slumlord. And um, he exploited his tenants and skimped on repairs oh, so and all that stuff. So he's not selling real estate. He's owning it. He's, he's owning uh, it. He's acquiring it and then renting it out to people. Yes, as a slumlord. And he was an asshole. Yep. So then he also opened a nightclub, which okay. gave him some social capital. He was real into wanting to be high society. Oh, he was okay. obsessed with that. High society. But it wasn't enough for him. Chester. There was this family in Macon that was like the premier family. They were the Dunlaps. The Dunlaps. And Chester was a distant relative of theirs. Oh, everybody wanted to be like the Dunlaps. You want to yeah. keep up with the Dunlaps. That's right. You aren't somebody unless you're a Dunlap or related to a Dunlap, but he was related to a Dunlap. Right, yes. So through the 20s and 30s, members of the Dunlap family started dying off. And and then until there was these three sisters left. You know, even Dunlaps die. And then um, Ela Dunlap, I think it's I-L-A-H. Ela, Isla? What is it? Maybe it's Isla. Spell it again. I-L-A-H. I think it's Isla. I-L-A-H. Yep. Isla Dunlap. Let's find out right now. What are you doing? Isla. Yeah, Isla. Isla. Okay. Isla. Isla. All right. Isla Dunlap died while vacationing in Germany in June of 1939, or oh. July of 1939. That's the same year that my dad was born. So this gets a little bit complicated right here, so just okay, bear with me. Okay, listen. She died in Germany? She died in Germany. She died in Germany. She was had been traveling to Germany at okay. the time. She had wanted to take her jewelry with her. She was traveling from where again? America. What part of America? Like what? Macon, Georgia. Macon, Georgia. And Georgia to Germany. she wanted to take her jewelry with her, yeah, which was worth $200,000 in 1939. Wow, that's a lot of money, but you got to look good. You but look good the American consulate over in Dresden, Germany, yeah. refused to, it, to trust it to a courier and said they would only trust it to a relative so they weren't gonna 
I am sorry if you can't yeah. trust it to just the clearly. So, but she had her sister Nettie was on her deathbed, so she couldn't do it. Oh, she's and dying. Then Clara oh, was too that. old and fragile she's to travel. Old, old, old so bitch, Chester says, "I'll do it." Chester will do it. Well, a little trusted to Chester. So Chester, somehow he made it, made it over to Germany and back before the first of September. And so, that was like right before the war started. So, so when you say somehow made it, you don't know if he took a boat or a, 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 cat, a, a catapult, a giant catapult. A boat. A boat. Or, a, or he invented sure. trans, trans. So he made it. Transportation. He made it there and back before the 1st of September, and that was right before the war started. All right. He made it there and back with the yes. jewelry. Yes. The jewels so were sent on. The jewels then were sent on to, a New York, to New York via American Express to the Dumlap lawyer. So that, because he went th- got through with that whole thing and he proved himself to them, yeah. then she started... Um, Wait a minute. He was taking the jewelry from Georgia to Germany? Yeah, and then They back. wouldn't let her carry it? She, I guess it was a thing back then. She, rich people didn't carry because it made them too much of a target or something. So she wanted to have it shipped? Yeah. But they wouldn't ship it without a person. Without, yeah, they had to trust so it. They wouldn't like, trust it to a courier. So he took her so jewelry much to money. her, and then he flew back, and then he flew back again when she well, wanted to come home. I guess with I don't the know. Jewelry? I don't know. All right, give me, <laughs> give me a break. Well, it just seems like a weird so thing we should probably understand. So Nettie dies and Isla dies, and that left Clara Dunlap as the last of the Dunlaps. All right, there's one Dunlap left. Over the next few years, Chester continued to. Like do his best to trying to do favors. He's favors trying to get for her, but he also starts to alienate her from other people. Yeah, that's. Uh... In 1944, he persuaded her to rewrite her will, okay. leaving her estate to his son John, because he still hadn't had himself declared competent. Right, he's still insane. Because he wanted to avoid the draft. Oh, that's a handy yeah. side effect of being insane. So then, on January 14th, Clara died, and um, she had rewritten the will, but it was January 14th, 1939. Yes. The same day that all commercial ferry services between San Francisco and East Bay ended? All right. <laughs> so her will is contested yeah. by these charities that she was going to give all the money to. Yeah, because they all want the money. Yes. When somebody dies and they have a lot of money, The case was settled won. and the assets were divided between John, Mary, and the charities. So they did end up getting some of the money. And. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but that's the famous movie John Mary and the Charities was based on this. Yep. So John Burge, the son, right? He marries John Burge? he marries a woman named Caroline Cook in 1949. Okay. Um, and Chester Cook. forced them to move into their Burge's estate and by gunpoint, pretty much. All and right. Caroline soon found out she wasn't allowed to leave. Oh, so that's not. eventually she mounted really? an escape with the help of her mother, and she took only what she could carry, oh. and, it, and she got away. And then John filed for divorce. Okay. So Chester quickly arranged a new marriage for, for his John. son. Yeah, and he decided on Wha- this woman named the, Anne Guerin. What's the reasoning behind all this? Do we know why he's doing all this? Forcing no. people to? We don't know. He's he's was in the oh, insane he's still asylum. Insane. Okay. So he forced another marriage with who? Anne Ger- Anne Guerin, I think. Garen, the granddaughter of some friends of his. Okay. She came. She had come to Macon to visit her grandparents, and right. then they introduced him. And Anne didn't really like, she didn't like Chester at all. I'm not really into that fella. And she didn't intend to marry John, but she was polite enough to them that they decided the deal was sealed. 
the, the dad and the son were like, okay, this is it. We got it. <laughs> you know what? I don't like you, but um, right. have a nice day. Oh, he must, she must, she's up for it. She Let's is. marry her. So the Burgess convinced her grandmother, yeah. whose name was Anna Olson. Anna Olson. That Anne was willing. So Anna got roped into what she didn't realize was a plot to kidnap Anne and force her to marry John. Holy balls. And once she realized what was happening, she helped Anne escape. So this was the second girl. The, so the grandmother helped her escape. Yes, when she when realized, she realized that, was, that was what was going on. What a weird, th- all in Macon, Georgia? Yeah. Shoo. So in 1952, John remarried JoLynn Scott. Okay. And then with her, he had two children. The son, John Lee, had a medical condition that required expensive treatments. And wait, she- wait, wait. Who married John? What? Are you not listening? What are you doing? Sorry. Quit typing. I'm looking up wrestlers from Macon, Georgia. No, stop it. Okay. Okay. So in 1952. 1952. John marries a woman named JoLynn Scott. Oh, this is after that girl got away. Yeah. JoLynn Scott married. And, and then she wanted to marry him? Yes. As far as we know? Yes. They had two children. Okay. One of them was this bo- little boy named John Lee, and he had a medical condition that required expensive treatment. Okay. Chester agreed to pay for them only if the boy came to live with he and his, Mary, his wife. So this is their grandson. And they said, we'll only pay for his medical treatments if he comes and lives with us. Chester said that. Chester said he'll pay for his grandsons. Yes. yes. If the boy comes and lives with yes. him and, and Mary, his wife, Mary, who he had married at that point. Okay, no, she's all board. She's all on board. I all guess. This crazy shit. Well, it, we'll see. So as a result, John Lee was raised by by them, by his grandparents. All right. Chester's mother, Sarah, moved in with them too, and then the household was rounded out. There was a cook, a handyman, and a chauffeur. Chester was real deeply racist. Oh, man, not surprised. Yet, despite this, he only hired black servants, all usually people on parole from prison. All right. In 1957, he hired Louis Roosevelt Johnson as his chauffeur. Yeah. And this guy was on parole for killing a woman in 1948. Well. So, over the years, Chester became more notorious in Macon, Georgia, around. Okay. He was bisexual. Oh, oh, wait a minute. There's a a wrench in the pants. Yeah, and... He, um, he was racist, bisexual, he was ra- yeah. insane person. <laughs> yep. He was he was bisexual, and he had arranged with the family of a local teenager to have the boy accompany him on a trip to Europe. Oh, boy. Mary Birch, his wife, boy. she usually tolerated her husband's bad behavior, but she told the family the reason Chester wanted their son's company, and then hey. the family canceled the trip. Wah, wah, this was the first wah. time in over 30 years that of the marriage that Mary had crossed Chester. So finally, she speaks up all the time, and I was just asking an, yep. astute, an astute question. That's right. I was asking, is she going answered. along with this? What's the deal? And now here's our answer. Yep. She was until this moment. Yes. And now she's crossed Chester, and something tells me that's not gonna sit well with old Chester. Yeah. So, April of 1960. April of 1960, brother. The Burges were targeted by the KKK because they rented a house to a black family in a white neighborhood. Holy crap. Now, okay. listen. April stop. 1960, the same month that the Russwood Park burned down, and the same month that uh, Ben-Hur won the Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, did you hear what I said about it? Yeah. They were renting to a black family, and the KKK so, uh, tar- was targeting yes. Chester. So Even they though go he's to his- racist himself. Right. So, they go to their house. 
and they got a cross that the they're going to put in the yard. Yeah, in a Chester's house. Yeah, but they, for some reason they have an electric cross in t- instead of a, a fire, or like real fire. An electric cross. Yes, and they get there what, and they can't get- find any place to plug it in, so they just leave. An electric cross. <laughs> what? That's a. That's not how the KKK worked. And yeah, they couldn't find any place to plug it in. So they left it there, unplugged, or they just they just. Not I do don't it? know if they left me with them or if they if they left it there. I don't know. The KKK but, is not known for being intelligent. No, but so that was enough for Mary to agree that they would kick the black family out and rent it to a white family. She she told the KKK that so they would back off. Hey KKK, please don't bother us with your electric plug-in crosses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to get rid of... Oh, that's terrible. So a few weeks later... Ah, the 20s. Or the 40s? We're in the this 50s? Is a 60. 60s. This yeah, is 60. We're up to 60 now, yeah. So a few weeks later, Chester goes into the hospital for a hernia operation. While okay. he was While he was recovering... Maybe not routine then. Right. While he was recovering, Mary's pet parrot died suddenly at the estate. And the parrot was notoriously talkative. talkative. A very... Talkative parrot. Would mimic everything he heard. Oh, so you know he's going to say, hey, I fucking killed a guy. Right. So um, she also went down to the local grocery store and paid off her tab, which was something she normally only did at the end of the month. All right. So she did this. The The grocer commented that this was odd, and it made him think she knew what was going to happen to her. Uh-oh. So by what day of the month is this? This is a few weeks after... This was right before May 12th. Okay, so May 11th, maybe? Yeah. So on May 12th. Maybe around the time that the Silver Beatles auditioned for Larry Parnes. So on May 12th. On May 12th, 1960, the same day that, so since I didn't do any research, I'm going to name the shows, and you tell me the one you'd like most to hear, like the description of it. Okay. Okay? All right. You get a little sense. Okay. May 12th, 1960, the same day that Bat Masterson was on NBC. Okay. Or Bachelor Father was on NBC. Oh, boy, that sounds like a winner. Or the Betty Hutton Show was on CBS. There's so many that are like, a, it's a celebrity's name and the blank show. You know who Betty Hutton is? No. Okay, I don't either. Johnny Ringo was on CBS. Okay. A show called Markham was on CBS. Mm-hmm. The Revlon Review was on at 10 p.m. The Revlon Review. On ABC, we had the Donna Reed Show. Yep. And at, we don't know what was on between that and the 10.30, a show called Take a Good Look. Uh, I figure Bat Masterson was the coolest name. Uh, I think the Revlon Review Show. The Revlon Review. Let's see what that is. Okay. The show... Same night that the Revlon Review was on CBS, the Revlon Review was a variety show that presented yep. comedy and music with the emphasis on the star who appeared that week. That's this, what I figured. And this week, let's just say it was Tiny Tim. Okay. Because Tiptoe Through TV was May 5th, 1960. Anyway, we can't tell who it was that day. It must have been a rerun. On May 12th. But the Revlon Review was on. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. All right. The cook and maid, Jessie Mae Holland, sent John Lee off to school and went upstairs to see why Mary still hadn't risen. She found Mary Burge dead, murdered during the night. Oh, bum, bum, boom. The police quickly arrived. Quickly? 
quickly. Quickly, Chester first heard of his wife's death on the 12 o'clock news, he said. He brought noon. That's twelve o'clock noon. Yeah. He was at work. You know, he was at hos- He's in the hospital. He had a hernia operation. Oh, that's right. He said, "Oh, wait." Right. So he didn't do it. So he rushed home from the hospital. They they took an ambulance and they sent him home. Yeah. In an ambulance and to tell the police if anything was missing, and he, he said he two diamond clips and five thousand dollars cash were missing. Oh boy. But. There was a diamond ring that was still on her hand, but the killer had nearly removed her finger trying to get to it. Oh. The police quickly labeled it as a robbery, but there were inconsistencies. Inconsistencies, There was no forced entry. No forced entry. There was valuable silver and antiques in perfect order throughout the house. Really? Yes. That doesn't add up. Right. And $25,000 necklace was left behind. And the cause of death, which was strangled from behind while standing, did not fit the robbery scenario. So um, when they found her, when they did the autopsy, a bone in her throat was fractured and there was deep pressure damage found in the tissues. Uh She had a cut on her left hand, bruises and a cut on her face and fingernail marks on her throat that they thought were her own fingernails. Trying to get the person off choking her. So, um, Jesse May and Lewis, the chauffeur, were arrested. Yes. Along with the former chauffeur and three tenants. They were all black. So all the, the black people were arrested, of course. Yeah. So, Georgia police didn't provide any of them with lawyers. Because they could. Because they, they were black. Have, that's. Yep. Terrible. And, okay, so those of you thinking, oh, their racism didn't really didn't matter. Yeah. There you so, go. So, a week after the murder, Chester offered a $5,000 reward. Later that day, he was arrested. Police... He was arrested? Yep. They had to arrest him because they found out he planned to travel to Europe in June because they, they were thinking he was something was up with him. Yeah. And, well, something um, is definitely up with a guy who hasn't been declared competent this yeah. long after all this. So they held him under psychiatric observation without charge for 10 days before officially charging him. But he wasn't there, right? Well, he was in the hospital, but... It, hernia. I don't think a hernia operation is real lays you up too badly. Like he could have left and come he back. He could have snuck out of the hospital and come back, even though they needed an ambulance to take him. Well, that was they. You know how they sent they put you in a wheelchair, and if, every time you leave the hospital from surgery, even if you can walk fine, I think it was just like a precautionary thing to do. Mm, so that doesn't add up. Um, I think aliens did it. They claimed they could prove he was in the house. His defense argued there was insufficient evidence to charge him, and he had refused to take a lie detector test, so they couldn't use that. Now, we got to say, lie detector tests are not conclusive. Especially in 1960. Especially in 1960, when they got a dumb guy, they make him touch a copy machine and tell him it's a (laughs) a lie detector. Nowadays, they do that. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> well, you know they did it before. Then they probably were like, see this toaster? Yeah. This can tell if you're lying. Right. If the toast is burnt. They probably made fake truth serums and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is going to make you tell well, the I'm truth. I'm sure they used toasters and whatever else they had. Yep. So then on June 6th. June 6th? Yep. 1960. 1960. Oh, June 6th, 1960. The same day that the Bourbon Street beat was on. You know what that was? No. The Texan or Peter Gunn? We know what that is. I don't know how interesting it is. Let's see what Bourbon Street Beat is. The same day that 
Bourbon Street Beat was on. A former New Orleans cop partners with an Ivy League lawyer to open up a private detective agency with offices on the city's famed Bourbon Street starring Richard Long, Andrew Duggan, and Van Williams. I haven't heard of any of those people. Andrew Duggan might be related to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Maybe. It could be. So on June 6th, a grand jury heard the murder charge along with a charge of unlawful carnal knowledge of his chauffeur, Louis Roosevelt. There's an album called Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Well, do you know what that means? Don't you? Unlawful carnal knowledge. You know what that means, don't you? Knowing something that's... Oh, you know know whose album that is? It's fucking somebody. If you have unlawful carnal knowledge of somebody, that means you fucked them. What does that mean? So he he fucked his chauffeur. For unlawful carnal knowledge. Carnal knowledge. Unlawful carnal knowledge. It's not for unlawful carnal knowledge. It's just unlawful carnal knowledge. For, that means you know somebody sexually and it's against the law. For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge stands for F-U-C-K is the ninth studio album of Van Halen. All right, stop. No, so, what I'm saying is... You're missing the point. No, I don't think actual... What's unlawful... Carnal? Unlawful carnal knowledge is a, is a legal term. It means that you you had sex with somebody. Why is it called carnal knowledge? Because car, carnal is sexual knowledge so you know somebody sexually and it's against the law it's unlawful carnal knowledge or so it's having sex with somebody who's underage or it, or it's a different race or it's gay you and to have back, sex then, with... back then i mean all i ever knew was that was a van but Halen he's album. saying he's saying that they're they're accusing him of having sex with his chauffeur who was that black guy that had killed some which is girl. illegal because it's, it's gay and, he's, and black? he's black probably oh Speaking of that, what I found a, a video on YouTube. They have a video from 1960 mm-hmm. that is a uh, a warning video for boys Ugh. to not be gay and be afraid of homosexuals. Oh. Yeah, isn't that awful? Yeah, and it's like, does it make them? To be afraid of homosexuals? Well, yeah, it's like that homosexuality is wrong. And they sh- they tell the story of this guy who was a- actually a pedophile. But instead of just saying he's a pedophile, they say he's a homosexual. Yeah, this well, that's homos- what they used to think they all were homosexuals pedophiles. do. They target and they whatever. And it was like a, it was like that, what's that video about marijuana saying it's yeah. going to be real crazy. But, um, Reefer madness. Yeah, it's creepy anti-gay propaganda. Then during lunch... Ralph showed him some pornographic pictures. Jimmy knew he shouldn't be interested. What the hell? Well, he was curious. What Jimmy didn't know was that Ralph was sick. A sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious. A sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. A person who demands an intimate relationship with members of their own sex. Demands. But by now, Jimmy felt a fondness for Ralph. And they continued to go places together. Right. Ralph was generous and took Jimmy many interesting places and did many nice things for him. It's a video on YouTube. It's called, at least the title of this one is Creepy Anti-Gay Propaganda from 1960s called Boys Beware. And it's oh got like God. a video of the guy. Yeah, it's like. That's, well, and it's obviously a pedophile, not a, yeah, a homosexual. That guy, yeah, in that video. Yeah, right. But it's like just labeling all homosexuals as that, which is like. Well, they, even their their definition was a homosexual, somebody who demands. Right. 
Yeah, that's their definition, which is... It's not. It's so scary that... Yeah. It, but it also makes you understand how old far people. we've come. Yeah. And how, like... How old people... Of course it was yeah. drilled into these people. And this is why... I mean, not to say, you know, I don't know. But not to say it's understandable, but it's like that was the... Mainstream the thing. The message being sent yeah. out to everyone. And then why it's been such a struggle for everybody to realize that it's not yeah that's crazy something wrong you know it's crazy so anyway so i'm learning all this stuff so for unlawful carnal knowledge i didn't really realize was an actual not term for unlawful car just i know for unlawful, unlawful carnal knowledge yeah. means fuck yeah. right well, but they, unlawful gay, because the van halen album right. called for unlawful right. because they wanted to spell out fuck yeah. but i thought it was just words van halen put together to make the word fuck i didn't know it was an actual term it is yeah wow so every day. the evidence that the state had that chester was the killer was yeah. there was a fresh fingerprint on a door that had been washed the day before the handyman said he washed the door the day before oh. and it was a fresh fingerprint of chester's okay. um, but that was not enough for the coroner's jury to convict but he was not released on bail but they could tell how fresh fingerprints were? Yeah, I guess. Well, it was fresh because the door had been washed the day before. So yeah, but that's all hearsay. He wasn't right? there. He was all. He was in. Right. Yeah. They don't know if he really washed it. Um. So it was also discovered during all of this that Mary's estate owed over three hundred and forty-two thousand dollars in back taxes. That's a lot of money. Yep. The you really, these folks, you really need to pay your taxes. The prosecution estimated the motive that Chester's mother testified to having witnessed him beat Mary over a trivial argument, and other witnesses testified about his fury over her blocking his business plans. The robbery motive was dismantled, but the jury still acquitted Chester. They did? Mm -hmm. Why? Well, all that he had was a fingerprint. And I guess they couldn't find a real motivation. Right. No but one was insane. ever convicted of killing Mary Burge, and the public thought Chester had gotten away with it. Yeah, he sure did. He was a crazy guy. Yes. So Chester was released on bail pending the sodomy trial, but didn't go back to the mansion, which his son John took possession of. He also took his son John Lee, and Chester never saw him again. Chester left town to stay with a friend. Then, on December 8th, 1960... Oh, December 8th, 1960? The same day that... <laughs> That the expansion Los Angeles Angels signed a four-year lease to use Dodger Stadium? I guess. For the first time, that Mary Martin Peter's, that the Mary Martin Peter Pan is presented as a standalone two-hour special on NBC instead of as part of an anthology series? Yes. Uh, That's good, probably. The same time that... <laughs> All right. December 8th, 1960, the same day that Lim Guan Ang is born, Malaysian statesman. All right. <laughs> so this is when the sodomy trial begins. All right. Prosecutors said Chester began having sex with Louis Roosevelt shortly after he hired him in 1957. Who's that? The dude that he was the on trial for? Okay. Yeah. He deliberately hired a man on parole so he could threaten him with revoking it if he didn't go along. So uh -huh. he was blackmailing him. Yeah. Lewis was the star witness. Others included a previous chauffeur who had been propositioned by Chester. He was a star witness. So the jury found Chester guilty. Yeah. He was released on bail pending appeal. He returned to Camden. Even the way he was guilty? Yeah. But, but 
sodomy's not that they released him on bail before his appeal i don't know yeah he returned to camden south carolina where he reunited with anna olson the grandmother of ann the pair that were married yeah with grandmother who that grandmother so he got with her yeah he got together with her in the kakalakis yeah what a month later chester's appeal was successful yeah. His grounds were that Roosevelt was an accomplice in the act, and so he could not prove it had taken place. So he can't be a witness if you're an accomplice. They're two different things. You, For doing it in the butt? Yeah. Since he was an since he was part of the act, he can't be he because can't prove that it happened him? because he was in on it or huh. something. I don't understand. The state this. chose not to retry Chester, so he was freed. He moved to Palm Beach with Anna. All right, he'll fit in in Florida. And then on October 7th, 1963, are you ready? October 7th, 1963? Yes. The same day that I've Got a Secret with James Garner was on CBS? Yes. And the Lucy Show episode was Kitty Parties, Inc. was on? Yes. Okay. Um, on, on October 7th, yeah? Chester's house in Palm Beach exploded. What? Chester survived the initial blast. He ran from the blast nude and on fire, his skin <laughs> hanging from his bones like a baggy suit. Oh. But what? he died of his burns in the hospital then later. Wait, say that again? His skin was hanging off of his body? Yes. Like a baggy suit? Like like he was nude and he was on fire. Yeah. And it was like Just melting? Melting. Oh. His so, house exploded with his that old lady in it? No, she wasn't there. So it was reported in the Florida papers as a gas explosion, but the local Macon papers thought it was either suicide or murder. They speculated. Suicide or murder. Like he was trying... Yeah. So Anna then moved back to Minnesota, where she died eight years later, and Minnesota. she was buried next to her first husband, not Chester. Oh, okay. Chester was buried in Macon in an unmarked grave. It seems the town did its best to forget he ever existed. And wow. that's the story of the murder of Mary know, Birch. You don't know where his son is? Nope. Anybody else? No, his son's the only other one. Wow, that is... Was that all right? It's gross. I want to take a shower. Uh, but It I wasn't will, that gross well, I will compared never for, to some of the ones we've done. I will never forget uh, an explosion with a naked <laughs> man running with his skin falling off of him. Yeah, that's pretty gross, that's isn't pretty it? That's pretty gross. Yes, and then Friday, May 20th, 1960, Stu Sutcliffe was playing bass and Tommy Moore was playing drums for the Silver Beatles. Yeah. And did you know that the Silver Beatles decided to adopt aliases? Oh, they did? For this tour. They didn't want to go by their actual names. So okay. here were their names. Uh, Paul McCartney became Paul Ramone. Stuart Sutcliffe became Stuart DeStall. Okay. And George Harrison became Carl Harrison. So this was before John and Ringo were in it. No, John was there. John was John went by Long John. Okay. George Harrison became Carl Harrison after Carl Perkins, their big idol who had written Blue Suede Shoes. Mm-hmm. And John was Long John. That was his oh, name. Okay. <laughs> his different name. But, uh, but Ringo was not with him at that point. Okay. Um, they had a drummer, and Stu Sutcliffe played bass. But okay. they didn't have a bassist with the Beatles. Yeah, they, yeah. But Stu Sutcliffe was the guy. And... Uh, and they didn't have a drummer. Well, the drummer at this point was uh, Tommy Moore, I guess. They had different drummers to fill in here and there. Okay. But at this point, it was Tommy Moore. 
Was it Pete? Who was the guy? Pete Best Pete came Best. later. Okay. He came a little bit later. Okay. At this point, Pete Best wasn't there. There's a guy named Tommy Moore mm-hmm. that later on in 1960, I'll tell you about how he quit the band. It's crazy. Okay. Sunday, May 22nd, 1960, during the Great Chilean Earthquake of 1960, mm-hmm. uh, two men ritually sacrificed a five-year-old boy in order to calm the sea and the earth. What? They were released after two years in prison with the judge ruling they acted without free will, driven by an irresistible natural force of ancestral tradition. Oh, my God. Yeah, 1960. That's crazy. It is crazy. 1960 was nuts. Yeah. And then Monday, May 23rd, 1960. Uh Uh-oh. We got a new number one song on the Billboard charts. You're going to hate it. I'm sure I will because I've listened to the whole year and it's all terrible. That's to you. This is the Everly According Brothers. According to you. The oh, Everly I like Brothers. this one. Kathy's Clown. Don't your love. I like this one. This was a popular song written and recorded by the Everly Brothers, in which the singer informs Kathy that, I don't want your love anymore. The distinctive drum sound was achieved by recording the drums with a tape loop, making it sound as if there were two drummers. Oh. It does sound like two drummers. This song was a major influence on the Beatles. You kind of hear yeah. the Beatles thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they once toyed with calling themselves the Foreverly Brothers. Oh, did they? Instead of the Silver Beatles and all that other stuff. Oh. Three years later, they recreated the song's vocal arrangement in their first U.S. single, Please Please Me. Oh, yeah. Kind of sounds like a Beatles type thing. Yeah, a little bit. So there you go. All right. That was terrible. And then Monday, May 23rd, <laughs> 1960. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Bless you. Sorry. After a performance in the Johnny Gentle Scotland tour at Dalrymple Hall, Fraserburg, Aberdeen, Johnny Gentle who was with the Silver Beatles, Mm -hmm. Johnny Gentle crashes the van carrying himself and the Beatles. Tommy Moore, the drummer, is hit in the mouth by a guitar. Oh, man. And he loses his front teeth. Oh, man. However, John Lennon and the Scottish organizer of the tour took him out of the hospital early and insisted that he perform with the rest of the group. Oh, man. Even though he's still in the hospital and he doesn't have any teeth. After they returned to Liverpool... Moore had already decided that he had had enough of John Lennon. Really? Well, yeah. He was like, fuck this guy. After that? God damn it. Screw these guys. And he was older than them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then, uh. His name's John Moore? Tommy Moore. Oh, I thought you said John Moore. And according to the Beatles Bible, mm-hmm. on sa- this has caused him on Saturday, June 11th, 1960, for him to quit the band without warning leaving the other Silver Beatles to scramble around the city looking for him after he didn't show up for sound check before that night's gig. Yeah. The rest of the band went around to his flat. They were told by his girlfriend that he had been he had gone back to a steady job at Garston Bottle Works. Oh, man, I bet he kicked himself. When they tried to persuade her otherwise, she apparently said, you can all piss off. <laughs> uh, they were forced to take the stage without a drummer and ask the audience if, they, if anyone knew how to play drums. Tommy Moore said... I went to work for the Beatles through an advertisement I saw in a newspaper where Paul and George were looking for a drummer, he recalled. I joined the group, but it was tough living in the beginning. 
we did get an invitation for a tour in Scotland, a very tiring one, but I needed something more secure. I abandoned my hobby of playing drums. Needless to say, the night didn't end well for the band. Uh, the Beatles Bible, which is online, you can see that, notes that John Lennon frantically called Williams, uh, who was the organizer of the tour, mm-hmm. uh, who drove over and gathered the group and their instruments before any harm could come to them. But far brighter days awaited the future Fab Four. Sadly, Moore's fate was gloomier. Despite later efforts to resume his music career, he continued to struggle financially until suffering a fatal brain hemorrhage on September 29th, 1981. Oh, bummer. But he left the group in June 11th, 1960. Oh, poor guy. the group that was going to be the Beatles. The biggest uh, group in the world ever. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Poor, oh, man. poor guy. Yeah. He hated John Lennon's ass. Uh, then on Wednesday, June 15th, 1960, a man tries to rise in his company by letting, letting his executives use his apartment for trysts, but complications and a romance of his own ensue. This is the best picture winner what is of it? 1960, The Apartment. Oh, yeah. Directed I've seen by that. Billy Wilder. Yes. Starring Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, and Fred McMurray. Yep. I, I saw that a long time ago. I can't remember much about it. Jack Lemmon's such a good actor. To create the effect of a vast sea of faces laboring grimly and impersonally at their desks in the huge insurance company office, mm-hmm. designers Alexandre Troner and Edward G. Boyle devised an interesting technique. Full-size actors sat at the desks in the front and children dressed in suits were used at tiny desks towards the rear, followed, followed by even smaller desks with cut-out figures operated by wires. It uh, gave the effect of a much larger space than could have been achieved in a limited studio space. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Does that make you want to go watch it again? Yeah, I want to see. Kids? Yeah, and the, cut- the cardboard cutouts. Cardboard cutouts. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. Because it did. I do remember those scenes where it's just this do? giant room of desks and yeah. people. I've never seen this, but although Billy Wilder generally generally requires his actors to adhere exactly to the script, he allowed Jack Lemmon to improvise in, in two scenes. Mm-hmm. In one scene, he squirted a bottle of nose drops across the room, and in another, he sang while making a meal of spaghetti, which he strains to the grid of a tennis racket. Yes. I remember seeing that in that, the preview. Mm-hmm. We did watch a preview of this. Yep. And then on Thursday, June 16, 1960, a new delicious beverage was invented. Oh, boy. Pepsi? Nope. No, that's right. Pepsi's older than that. What is it? A commonly told tale is that this happened during the 1960 U.S. Open at Cherry Hills Country Club in Colorado. When patrons overheard Arnold Palmer telling a bartender how to make him his favorite drink. Oh. Iced tea with lemonade. Iced tea with lemonade? However, Arnold Palmer describes what he believes and how the drink got its name. In a 2012 ESPN 30 for 30 shorts documentary, Arnold Palmer describes a story in which he believes gave the refreshing iced tea lemonade its famous name. One evening, after a long day of designing a course in Palm Springs during the 1960s, Arnold Palmer stepped up to a bar and asked the bartender for a mixture of lemonade and iced tea. A woman sitting next to him overheard what he ordered and told the bartender, I'll have that Palmer drink. The men overheard and thought, what is she talking about? She repeated, I want what he's having. That's exactly how their voices sounded. You had to do those voices? (laughs) Yeah. Somebody's got to show off my awesome versatility. Oh, my God. So what is the name of the drink? What's the whole point of this? The Arnold Palmer. I've never even heard of it. You've never heard of the Arnold Palmer? 
Say it. Arnold Palmer. <laughs> no. Arnold Palmer. Try saying Arnold Palmer three times fast ever drinking three hops lambs. Yeah, your diction's getting a little slurry. Diction. All diction. Right. Anyway, Arnold an Arnold Palmer is iced tea lemonade. Oh, okay. And everyone except you knows I've that. I've never heard of it. In fact, all of our listeners right now, yeah. as they're listening to this podcast, are drinking several Arnold Palmers. They're chugging their You better stop Arnold saying that. Palmers. I can't say it. <laughs> Anyway, the Arnold Palmer drink was invented. And then Sunday, June 19, 1960, mm-hmm. race car driver Alan Stacy died in 1960 when he crashed oh. after being hit in the face by a bird at 120 miles per hour. A bird? Yeah, a bird. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was killed during the 1960 Belgian Grand Prix. Hit in the Prix. face? He was hit in the face with a bird. It's one of those, like, race cars that's like there's no windshield no like it's a i think it's like a those cars that are just like you know they used to not have they didn't have a windshield at all out. yeah uh oh my god i wonder what kind of bird it was yeah he was hit in the face by a bird on lap 25 while lying sixth in his lotus 18 climax the same type of lotus at sterling moss jim clark and innis ireland <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that means whoever the hell those people are uh, uh, he went off the road on the inside of a fast sweeping right hand. Uh, curve, the same either. corner where Moss, oh the same, the same corner where Sterling Moss had crashed the previous day. Oh, there was a previous crash the day before. Okay, uh, he climbed a waist high embankment, penetrated ten feet of thick hedges, and fell into a field. He died within a few minutes of Chris Bristow. A few minutes of who? Another guy who wrecked in that a few minutes before another guy wrecked, and he landed a few feet, a few hundred feet of that wreck. Boy, this is complicated. So all these people die. <laughs> Race car drivers die a lot. Uh, yeah, I guess so. With not even a windshield, Jesus Christ! It doesn't take a genius. Yeah. So they say the bird either knocked him out and made him crash, or the bird had flown right in his face and. Uh, Killed him by breaking his neck or inflicting a fatal head injury. The bird broke his neck. Crashed. Well, he was going 120 miles an hour. You How? you hit a you you hit a bird in the face 120 miles an hour. See what happens. You think it would break your neck though? I don't. I can't imagine. 120 miles an hour. Then a bird. Anything hits you, it's going to snap your neck back. Right. I guess. Hit your face. That's then, just bizarre. Okay, we're on one more, and then we're done with June. Okay. Monday. Mm-hmm. June 27, 1960. Mm-hmm. June 27, 1960. We got our final number one of June. Yes. Uh, from June 27, 1960, all the way to July 10, 1960, Connie, Connie Francis had the number one song. Okay. Do you want to guess what it is? Nope. Written by Jack Keller and Howard Greenfield. Polka-style version in German was the first German single recorded and released by Connie Francis. And it reached number one on the single chart in 1960 in West Germany. I kind of like it. You do? Somebody's fool. Everybody, somebody's fool. Yeah, I like it. 
You want to know what the German... It, you know what? It, for some reason, it makes me think of a Christmas song. Like one of those Christmas songs you hear, you know, like rocking around the Christmas tree and well, those kind of... this was June, so... I know, but it, I'm saying it, oh. it's the same kind of feel to it. It's it like, like that. that. You want to know what the um, the German version was called? What? Glockenspiel Wiener Schnitzel. No, you're <laughs> making shit up. No, it was called Dein Leben ist ein selbstsames Spiel. Such a beautiful language. <laughs> German. <laughs> Glockenspiel. Yeah. What does Glockenspiel mean? Must be fool. Glockenspiel, because spiel's the last word. They, I thought a glockenspiel is an instrument of some sort. Yeah, but maybe it's called a shit fool. I don't think so. Anyway, that'll have to carry us over into July of 1960. Somebody will get through 1960. Well, we're halfway through the year. True. Finally. And, and Connie Francis, thank you for joining us on American Timelines, but your time is up. Yes. Thank you for listening We've and taking the time. time. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, get the word out. I'd like to thank whatever you can do. All of you for liking our Instagram photos. Yes. Following us, uh, retweeting, yes. if you will, when our we have a new episode. Everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. You make us what we are. That's right. We love you. And please come see us live at our live podcast recording on at Charlotte Shout on May 11th, Saturday, May 11th at 2.30 p.m. at the Queen City Podcast Stage at Charlotte Shout in Uptown Charlotte, North Kakalaka. That's right. We will be there and uh be there if, we be get, if we get enough tweets, we will be shirtless, both of us. I know that's not gonna happen. No, we're not? Well, neither of those things are gonna happen. We're not gonna get enough tweets and I'm not gonna be shirtless. Well what about me? You want me to be shirtless or that's up to that's a personal decision, honey. Yeah, maybe I'll be shirtless. I'll be shirtless if we get enough likes and retweets. All right. Chuck Berry <laughs> just walked in. Oh, Chuck Berry, get the hell out of here. And you get out of here, Matt Truman. You get in here. That's you get, get in, in here. Get on my body. Get on my body, Matt Truman. <laughs> Listen, if you listen to Matt Truman's voice and don't want to have sex with him, there's something wrong with you, bro. Get and out. Lady, everyone wants to have sex with Matt Truman. <laughs> Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.